Welcome to the Naked Ambition Podcast, where we speak with the people who are making an impact in tech, innovation, and leadership all around the world. I'm your host, Fiona Triarca. So before we start this week's show, we also have a little announcement to make. If you are an enterprise innovator or a current or emerging leader who's hungry for more ways to bring creativity to your work or even keen to build a new product or service with your team, we have just launched the Business Design Accelerator. It is a completely self-paced program covering everything from how to understand your customers better to coming up with new ideas for them and building and testing a product prototype before release. There's also lessons in there on how to influence for innovation, which is in short, how to get your ideals approved internally. If you're keen on this and you like the sound of it, just use the code NAKED at the checkout on our website at naked-ambition.com.au and get the first release for 30% off. That's NAKED at the checkout. Okay, on with the show. So on today's show, we have Dom Pim, CEO, and Anson Parker, Head of Product at UP. So UP is Australia's leading neobank. They've got more than 300,000 customers right now, and these are customers who truly love the brand. I met both of the guys a couple of years ago. They are legends, and I've been watching keenly the story of UP because as well as being a great Aussie innovation, it's also a really interesting case study for innovation partnerships between enterprise and startup. So in this episode, we cover the relationship between Bendigo Bank and UP, how they built trust with customers, as well as delivering on that brand promise. And you'll notice how seriously they take this in the episode as well. We talk about their design methodology, their product development techniques, building great teams and culture. It's all in there and we really hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to the Naked Ambition podcast where we speak with the people who are making an impact in leadership, design and innovation all around the world. I am your host, Fiona Triarca. I'm so excited about today's guests. Um, In case you have not come across UP, which I'd be very surprised if you haven't, uh, in what is now a growing neobanking scene, UP were actually the first to launch here in Australia in 2018. They've already amassed a quarter of a million very, very happy customers, some of which are in our team as well. Um, And I've got Dom, Pim and Anson Parker here on the show. So welcome, guys. Thank you. Great to be here. So a little bit about the guys. Um, Dom is the CEO and co-founder. He's an entrepreneur. He's a technologist. Um, He launched up and has 20 years experience in software, web uh, and mobile development all over the world, startups, global enterprises here in Australia, in the UK, in the US and throughout Asia. Uh, Anson is the product visionary behind UP. He stacked up some very impressive design and tech creds um, with startups in San Fran uh, and here in Australia. So there's going to be loads to talk about with the guys today um, and heaps of uh, really great insights, I'm sure, from, from the perspective of tech and design and product development. We've already had some great questions sent in as well from people who've got some things they're keen for you to cover. But I'd love to kick off with you guys. Um, For anyone who isn't super familiar with UP um, and who's crazy enough not to be on it, can we start with the origin story of UP in your own words? Do you want to take that one, Dom? Yeah, maybe I'll I'll start. And, you know, Anson's uh, Anson actually was the very first person to join the team uh, nine years ago. So he's been here for the whole journey as well. So he can absolutely talk to the origin story as well. But, you know, for us, uh, we're a software company, a technology company, and we've been building technology for a long time. Uh, when we set the business up, our idea was that we just wanted to make a team of people that was awesome, you know, like the best people we've ever worked with in the world and bring them all together. That's why we have people like Anson. Um, so, so having all these people to, you know, just to be able to collaborate, to be able to innovate, and use the latest technologies to solve problems. I mean, that, that's really the thesis of, of why we set up in the first place. Mm-hmm. We stumbled our way into banking. Uh, and then after about four and a half years of working with um, some of the big banks to help them build uh, digital offerings in Asia and in Australia, we got pretty frustrated because 
Um, none of those solutions, although hundreds of millions of dollars were spent on them, none of those solutions actually got into customers' hands. And so, you know, Anson and I sort of, we've traveled all over the world together, talking at conferences and all sorts of stuff. And every time we were chatting on the plane, we'd be saying to each other, like, you know, this is, this is crazy. Like, we've got all these great ideas. We've got um, the ability to execute. Um, you know, we're creating world firsts, and yet we can't get this stuff into customers' hands. And that's actually how the idea of UP was really born is that we've been working with Bendigo and Adelaide Banking Group. They're the fifth largest bank in Australia or retail bank in Australia. And they're a public company and all that stuff. We'd been working with them at the time for six years. Mm -hmm. And we said to them, look, we're going to launch our own digital bank. Um, we've seen what's happening overseas. We think it's an amazing opportunity. We've been working with these big banks and really struggling to get stuff out the door. Um, do you think there's anything we can do? And to their credit, like I always say that it's exceptionally brave for um, you know a bank of their size uh, a public company, this huge sort of enterprise with seven and a half thousand people across 500 branches and all that sort of stuff to actually say, you know what, we're going to back this technology company and we're going to partner together. And they basically deliver, you know, they provide some capital, they deliver the, the banking license. Mm -hmm. And that has meant that UP could get into market before any other neobank in Australia. So we were able to launch, we actually went live, we went to production in 2017, but we had about a year where we were actually using it just with staff. Um, and working with the regulators and, you know, we're the first uh, cloud-hosted bank in Australia. So we were working with Google to roll that out and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, so there was about a year. So we launched in 2018. And it was only because of the sort of foresight and um, trust that Bendigo placed in us as a technology company that the collaboration was formed and then up became a reality. And now, you know, like you said, it's gone absolutely crazy. I mean, yesterday... Uh, we actually hit a milestone, which is um, 300,000 customers. So the last wow. time we, or maybe it was a month ago or something, it was 250 and now it's 300. You know, like things move fast um, and yeah, it's absolutely amazing. So I don't know if I missed any exciting bits there, Anson, but uh, that's sort of, I guess, the, the origin story of where it came from. Yeah, beautiful. What would you add to that, Anson, from that, that sort of the early days? Um, I mean, I think the 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 sort of interesting thing from my perspective, like I most of my career was in Sydney, and then as you said, I was over in San Francisco. And you know, when I came to Melbourne, I was sort of look working out what to do. I sort of came here because my girlfriend was here for the theatre and you know the art scene, and I was kind of like, well, I'll tag along and see what I can find to do. <laughs> and like a lot of the jobs when I was looking were kind of big. You know, there's a lot of banking in in Melbourne, big finance companies, and they never really appealed to me because they were. Um, just huge teams and really prescriptive environments. And it didn't really seem like you could make a difference, but that the, you know, banking is something that's so central to all of our lives. And as a software person, it's something you'd love to be able to get your hands on if you ever managed to find a way to, to get the opportunity. And so that's kind of been the exciting thing on, on the journey. You know, first we started working with Bendigo to, to build, you know, you know, a really great platform for their customers. Um, but we kind of found more and more ideas that we really wanted to, um, implement ourselves and kind of you know, have, have the freedom to to experiment and innovate and um, you know that that was the the great opportunity of up so it's really I guess a team of essentially software people not so mm -hmm. much bankers that have been able to get into a space that's you know it's quite a protected space it's really hard to to get into because of all the regulation requirements and capital you need to be a bank so that's kind of the really fun bit you know we kind of we've got the keys to the to the car and we can sort of do what we want with it which is you know yeah. brilliant. It's, it's such a relevant story, I think, especially right now. I mean, for, for anyone who's in this space, you know, a lot of our listeners as well are the sorts of people who are inside organisations trying to do what you do or agencies trying to help people do what you did. Um, and there is always that battle, you know, it's that can we just get something to market? How can we ship something? So that you took that into your own hands after living that frustration for a while and said, okay, what is another way that we can do this? Let's design it first and then, you know, bring the, um, you know, Benny go along for the partnership as well. Can we dive straight into that? Because I'd love to know more about sort of the nuts and bolts of how you make a partnership like that work. Because I know that that actually is an ambition of a lot of our, you know, with anything that you can share within reason, it is a big ambition for a lot of the enterprises that we work with. It's, you know, that the innovation that we're doing internally or more organically is not you know, it's it's not getting to market, it's not going far enough. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But, you know, partnership is one of those things that people are exploring. Can you could talk to that a little bit? Yeah, I think it's a uh, it's an amazing um, ambition to have, which is 
um, you know, can you break away from the norm and do something different? And can you do it within your existing team and your existing structure? Or do you need to, you know, buy, build or partner sort of thing? You know, like, yeah. is, is there a way that you can break the mold and do something different? I think what we found uh, with Bendigo is we really found a partner that we could trust and a partner that would back us. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's really important. So we used to, in the very early days, uh, you know, we'd literally, the headquarters is in Bendigo. So we'd literally travel up to Bendigo on the train or go up in the car. And, uh, you know, we would um, get in the same room with the, with the people there and we would brainstorm stuff and get on the whiteboard. And, you know, we used to do these things we called integrated sprints. That was really early days where we developed those relationships and, and formed uh, that sort of, um, you know, the capabilities. And yeah. then after doing that for five or six years, it actually was easier when it came around to up because we'd already established that relationship. So for us, it was like, um, you know, the, the, the rules in Australia, the regulation hadn't changed yet. So what's happened now is the regulations changed and it's made it easier for people to apply for a banking license. Yep. It's not easier to run a bank. <laughs> you still have to meet all the same hurdles and everything, but it's sort of like an on-ramp to, to getting started. So with that regulatory change, that's made it possible for people who had maybe this idea that I'd love to create a bank. I don't know how many people have that idea, but, but, you know, it, but you know, it's made it possible to happen. But we were about a year ahead of that, maybe two years ahead of that curve. And, and so for us, it was really relying on Bendigo to deliver that capability. So I would say number one was trust. Number two was the ability to... Um, challenge the status quo. One thing Bendigo has always been awesome at um, is, for example, Marnie Baker, who's the managing director there, she, she's been our sponsor at Ferocia since day one. Um, mm. and, and so uh, the whole nine-year journey, you know. And so when it came to, to up, um, we were able to uh, go to an executive meeting or a board meeting or a committee meeting or even a product meeting or whatever. And we were, you know, Anson and I and others were able to say what we think and say it honestly and, you know, out loud, transparently, um, and, and be critical and say, you know what, we can't do it internally within the organisation. Um, yeah. We've tried to assist um, you guys to do it and you haven't been able to. Why don't we go do it over here and then bring it back and, and show you what it might look like? And then I say the third thing for us was um, uh, having agreement that we could help them to change their culture. So, so in the very early days, Bendigo had said to us, you know, you guys have a culture around execution and technology, um, you know, design, uh, innovation, all that sort of stuff. That's what you guys are really good at. As a big enterprise organization, it's not that they're not good at it. They're actually reasonably good at it compared to other organizations of a similar size. Um, you know, they introduced the debit card to Australia. You know, that they, they, they launched, um, uh, you know, Australia's payment switch uh, for all the credit and debit card transactions. They did all sorts of cool things, yeah. um, but it takes a very long time to get there. So I think that that cultural change was the other one that was big for me. Having permission to sit down with people and help them think differently do things differently, apply design thinking, apply the latest technology um, and, and be open to iteration. Like Anson always, uh, maybe he can even say, but you know, he always talks about how we launched up. And when mm. we launched up, you couldn't take your money out. Like you could put your money in, but it was something that we developed within the first four weeks or something after we launched. Yeah. But that takes a huge leap of faith to mm. iterate in banking, you know, like yeah. that's amazing. So I think that level of cultural change was actually mm. just as important as uh, the level of trust and the level of sort of collaboration and communication. Mm. So it's like yeah. some of those key features you're prepared to ship when you're actually live there, Anson, which I'm sure is super scary. Can you talk to that actually? That'd be great to hear about your sort of those early design decisions and product development decisions that you made in the, in the um, app. Yeah, well, we, I mean, you know, being, being software people, I guess we really brought that sort of software mindset to banking and, um, and I guess we really questioned a lot of the sort of status quo and asked why did it have to be that way? You know, we felt that things like, you know, the, your transaction, you know, your statements or transaction history were, could be a lot more understandable, you know, with, if we sort of applied some, some technology to them and, um, and, you know, there, there were quite a few areas, I guess, that we saw in banking that, that felt like they were a bit stuck in the past or just hadn't sort of kept up with maybe the, the te te uh, technology capability that, were, that, that are now sort of available. So, yeah. you know, in some ways it kind of felt like parts of what we were doing were sort of not, you know, kind of like straightforward, like we just have to do it. This just has to be this way. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but, you know, it, it's a like... In a lot of software projects, you, you quite often work in, um, you know, new areas, new markets that aren't, uh, haven't been around for very long. You might even be creating this market yourself with your startup. 
Um, but banking certainly not that, right? I mean, the, there, there's you know, one of the big four banks is over 200 years old and, and, and a few of them are over 100 years old. So it's a very mature market. Everyone already has a bank account. Um, yeah. And so when you're applying those kind of lean, you know, software principles and startup principles, you know, it's sort of an interesting thing where you're coming into a market with something that's called MVP, minimum viable yeah. product. So sort of a limited feature set, yet all the other competition is very kind of mature. Um, so for us, it was, um, uh, you know, it, it didn't mean that, no, we just have to wait for three years until we've built an entire bank. It's like, yeah. we still want to go in with something early. Uh, and for us, that meant sort of focusing in on what, what are we going to solve for really well? Um, yeah. And what are we going to sort, sort of push out for later on? And so for us, that was kind of the, the everyday banking, the, the saving, the spending. If we could make that really awesome, um, we figured that customers could be, you know, would be patient. And particularly if we were transparent from the start and said, you know, we don't have everything today. Here's what we're, here's what we're building. And we've sort of published a, a roadmap essentially, which is essentially a, a forward looking list of here's what we, here's where we think we'll be in a year or two. Yep. Um, so, and, and then we sort of have this cadence of shipping too. So yeah. people can see that we're releasing new stuff all the time. So with those kind of pieces in play, you know, we've been able to we've sort of be in the fortunate position where customers are prepared to sort of come on the journey with us. They're mm-hmm. forgiving that maybe everything they want is not their day one, but they're, they, they trust in us that, that we'll get there over time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been really key. You know, I think it's, it's super important to, to, to be honest and transparent with customers, not, not to pretend you're, you know, something bigger than you are or something more advanced than you are, because, you know, p- people are, people, I think, respect that more, you know, the, the mm-hmm. openness. Yeah, I think I just say that I think that's also being reflected in when we make mistakes. That openness and transparency. um, You know, we're very honest with our customers, which they don't expect from a bank. And it's not Mm -hmm. that there aren't honest banks. It's just that people have a perception of the Royal Commission, or you know, a difficult um, customer service experience, or you know, a horrible digital experience, or whatever it is. And people sort of have this. Uh, expectation of what you would get from a utility company or what you would get from a telco or what you would get from a bank. And and so we wanted to sort of change the status quo. And the disruptive nature of what we're doing is very heavily based in transparency. It's mm. also very heavily based in owning when you do something wrong. Like, you know, we, we, we go out and say, well, you know, we made this mistake. Sorry about that. Here's how we fixed it. And having that level of cadence that Anson talked about, like we, for example, you know, a lot of people won't know this, but most banks deliver software to customers uh, and usually with, you know, software partners, big vendors or whatever, but they mm. probably do that, you know, a few years ago, it would have been once a year if you're lucky. Um, and nowadays probably, you know, once a month, if you're like a superstar bank, yeah. we set ourselves the goal that we would release software to customers five times a day. Like <laughs> you just think about that for a minute. There's not a lot of companies in the world that are able to do that. And so for us to be able to do that, when you have your public roadmap and you're very yeah. transparent and you own your mistakes, and you have a great communication with your customer base, it's very easy for us just to keep shipping software every single day. At the moment, we're averaging over six times a day, right? So, so just keep sh- shipping software and then everything just gets better and better and better. And that actually helps us to build trust. So one thing that we thought we're very proud of and you know, we're interested in um, sort of talking about is that how do you develop, I call it the new trust, but you know, how do you develop trust with customers when you don't necessarily interact with them directly? You know, you, you're using technology to, to provide a service or an app or whatever it is to your customers. And it became really important for us to build that relationship, a direct relationship. And we're very proud of being able to, for example, answer our customers' questions, accept their ideas, have a conversation with them. We built the capability into the up um, app that you can have a mm. conversation with us, talk to us, we call it. But you know, our average first response time is, is, is less than two minutes. And so that means that the expectations that you have of you know contacting your bank and waiting on hold for half an hour and you know talking to someone who you know doesn't know how to fix your problem or you know who um, has to put you through to another department or whatever, none of that happens it up. Like so that that feedback loop actually means that we can iterate our product and then our delivery cadence means that we can deliver the goods and our transparency means that we can be honest and, and open. So I think all of those ingredients together actually make it what's so special it's not just like one of those things it's like all of those things together yeah i've seen that on your up tree actually where you're talking about you know these are things to come here's a secret project and notice that 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 got a lot of buzz a few design groups around linkedin were enjoying that one as well so shout out to you there both of you for that um, can we talk can we dive into that a little bit more because you're talking about there i mean that's phenomenal we're talking about shipping 
features are updated six times a day. I mean, I don't even know who, certainly it wouldn't be within the banking sector, as you mentioned, but even other, you know, tech companies that, that could say that they're doing it at that cadence. How does that happen? Like, talk to us, what is the secret source behind, you know, this is, you know, the dream state for a lot of companies to be able to move at this sort of speed, but also to deliver with the integrity that you're talking about, as well as being such a, you know, a brand new company, really, three years old, just, um, you know, or three years in market, almost. Can you talk to us about that, Anson? Like, how do you run the product team? What is what is that model? I mean, I think, you know, Part of it is, uh, you know, uh, when, when you're releasing a lot and um, you're not necessarily releasing, you know, massive features six times a day, right? I mean, that's kind of the, the thing to get your head around is that um, essentially, you know, up up as a, as a product and as sort of a, a development team, we're really focused on making change sort of cheap, making it as fast as possible for us to test ideas, to, to mm. update things. And so part of that is making making lots of small changes rather than less you know, big changes mm-hmm. uh, because the bigger the change, the kind of scarier and more riskier it can be in terms of will this break some functionality? Will this, you know, upset a whole bunch of people or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So part of it is, um, you know, ma- making small updates and having great confidence that when you do make those updates um, that things will keep working. Um, so that's, you know, uh, automated test- testing and those kind of um, technologies are really important. So, you know, be- because we've come from the software perspective, that's sort of, always been really central to how to, how we develop software and ultimately it's sort of a you know a big part of how we're able to move so quickly um we're, it's reasonably easy for us to take something from the idea state and get it into the app um you know we, and if you can do that quickly that means you can take more chances right you don't have to be as mm-hmm. sure that you've that you've you know hit the right um hit the right thing because you know well we'll only we'll only have one shot at this and if we stuff it up that's our chance blown you know that's yeah. uh, we have a very different um process which means we can test ideas um, but we have to be very disciplined to make sure we um you know keep things scoped uh, at a reasonable level and find a way to develop features that sort of evolutionary and iterative mm-hmm. so that we can um you know break a feature down into into a useful kernel that we can ship today get some validations and feedback see if customers are using it or, or, or not using it or, or not understanding it and sort of a, adjusting from there. Um, so there's a lot that sort of goes into enabling that for everything from the way you build software, the way you test and release it um, to the way you gather data um, from customers and understand how people are using your feature and, and also what they're saying to us through talk to us, the feedback that we get. Mm-hmm. Also the collaboration cross team, like the cross-functional yeah. mm-hmm. collaboration from a product sense, like Anson, pretty humble, but uh, you know, our design crew and our product crew and our engineering crew are not all separate people. Separate, they are separate people, but they're not. Like they're not. We don't have those teams working in isolation. Typically, along the lines of what Anton was saying, is that when we break down a product into its sort of you know parts. Um, you'll have people from all those different disciplines working on those parts together. Mm. Um, and I think that's really important as well. What, what, one of the things we talked about when we set the business up was that we didn't want to have, you know, a design team over here designing something, an engineering team over here doing something, a, you know, a, a system operations team over there doing something, a mm. product team going off and imagining new things. We actually wanted everybody to be able to collaborate and work together. And it sounds like a really simple thing. And people talk about it all the time. But there's so many sort of uh, trials and tribulations of how do you build that culture? How do you build the sort of collaboration across teams? How do you have that multi sort of, you know, cross-functional capability in order to deliver those small parts? And I think that's part of the sort of secret source. It's not like you can just go to LinkedIn and hire a bunch of people and then just magically deliver software better. <laughs> you know, you, 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 need yeah. to, you need to develop over time relationships, trust, collaboration, communication, cross-functional capability, redundancy in your team, you know, all those sort of things. So that when you break the sort of the epic down into smaller parts, you can then have sort of a design-led approach, a technology-led approach, an engineering-led approach, a cloud services approach, and all that sort of thrown into the melting pot. And then it actually enables that sort of delivery of this vision, you know. So, I mean, and are you structured, do you have, do you do the sort of squads and guilds, like to get really specific? Is it sort of, how does it work with your product dev team? Is that the kind of bringing different groups together? 
Yeah, more or less. We yeah, yeah, we would like probably at any one time we'd be working on two or three sort of major major features, uh, mm. and, those, um, and those will typically be sort of broken down into squads. So we have engineering and product and design within those groups, um, yeah. and then we sort of have some other groups that'll be just be looking at you know tech support issues coming in from customers. Like, are there just mm. sort of little bug fixes that we need to need to work out? Um, and and we have this other sort of great, I think. Um, uh, structural piece, which is what we call the golden list. So, you know, it's, it's identifying those small opportunities or to, to really make a difference in the product, not lo- losing sight of kind of the smaller details when you're, you know, when you do have quite an ambitious plan and you're always working on these really big, you know, um, headline features, if you like. So it's, it's yeah. kind of maintaining those different focuses at the same time, the sort of big stuff, but not forgetting the detail. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, definitely um, breaking out into a smaller groups uh, of people that can really dive into a, into a feature area, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. something in payments or joint accounts or, or other types of areas like that and, and work through all the detail. And is it also like, Anson, part of it is the freedom for people to be autonomous. Yeah. So the team structure is one part of it. The other part of it is that we're not going to come up with all the great ideas, right? Like, um, you know, if, 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 I mean, Anson's awesome. that We love him. But he can't come up with everything. He, he does come up with an extraordinary amount. <laughs> what happens is sometimes the engineers will come with an idea. You know, on the weekend, I was at a barbecue, I thought this thing. Or, you know, my friends have been telling me they've been out shopping and they had this thing, whatever. And so I think that that um, cross-functional sort of collaboration is really useful. But the autonomy piece is really important too. So, for example, you know, a lot of our uh, engineers uh, have a design background and so they can put together a prototype or something fairly, fairly quickly and they're able to actually pitch it to Anson and say, hey, look at this, what do you reckon? Mm-hmm. And so we've got lots of examples of things like that. But, you know, some, some classic ones that are just amazing is um, our ability to uh, automatically detect a subscription. Uh, you know, one of our engineers was like, well, I use up to run my life. And one of the things is I'd like to improve the ability and leverage the you know merchant capability that we have, leverage the taxonomy and the categorization. You know, do you think it'd be possible to maybe get some crowdsourcing and prompt the customer and say, yeah, we cool. think that your Netflix is a subscription for this amount on a monthly basis. Is that, you know, yes or no sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That was just an idea that sort of evolved from one of our engineers. Pull to save is another one that is just absolutely incredible. I don't know the latest numbers, uh, Anson, but it's more than a million, right? More than a million people, oh, yeah. maybe a million yeah. and a half, um, have have pulled to save, you know, or a million and a half times. Yeah. Um, and 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 it saves your spare change, which makes your whole um, app and you know look better, and your balance is nice and clean and all that sort of stuff. But it also subconsciously creates a habit, a savings habit for yeah. people that don't, aren't exposed to coins and notes like we used to be when we were kids. Um, you know, this new generation is sort of interacting with money digitally and it's hard yeah. to sort of feel like it's tangible. So suddenly we have this gesture and the gesture was sort of freed up because we we have the technology allows the system to automatically update. So you don't need to pull it to refresh it like you would in uh, maybe a Instagram or a, a Twitter or something like that. And, and, and so people are used to that gesture to pull and what we found is that we could use that gesture to help people create a habit to save. Um, but that was a, an idea that came from one of our engineers and was put forward as a demo. And then, you know, we backed it. But that level of autonomy to mm. be able to, outside of your day-to-day sort of responsibility, be able to have the freedoms to innovate, um, I yeah. think is really, really important. Yeah. That's like a utopia of the culture of innovation that I think so many organisations are talking about and even through those different lenses that you mentioned earlier being, you know, sometimes it's tech-led, so the pool is the tech, for example, that's the feature, and then the design-led is what do people actually need, you could do with this, and then them being able to act and ship so quickly. It's, yeah, you're actually really living the principles there, which is so exciting, I think, to see. I want to, can we, can we go back a little bit on, um, we've talked a lot about, you know, like how things are sort of working there in terms of, you know, that the design, the product, the dev, these sorts of parts. I want to come back to something that you said earlier, John, about that topic of trust. And, you know, as a brand, clearly from what you've told us all now, you know, you've had a lot of freedom in some senses as well and you've taken advantage of that to really push the boundaries of what is expected of the sector. You know, what is the reputation of banks? What do people expect from banks? You've challenged that a lot. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, that trust that you mentioned before and maybe some of your vision, if you will, even for where you want to take up or maybe even, you know, potentially other products within this sector as well. Yeah, let me just frame it and then Anson will absolutely nail that, I think. So let me just frame 
what what I was sort of getting at is that when when you're launching a service like a bank, um, a lot of the naysayers, a lot of the negativity uh, is coming from uh, this idea that you have to develop trust with a customer because you're holding their money. You know, now in the olden days, that might have been represented by a vault, you know, like or a, you know money held in a in a safe or something secure, and you knew that your money was safe. Nowadays, that trust needs to be that your, your system's not going to get hacked that your, you know, your infrastructure, your technology is not going to go down um, and that I'm going to be able to access my money anywhere I am in the world and all that sort of stuff. So I want to pivot it from that sort of, let's say, traditional uh, aspect of trust to how do people now trust Uber? You're getting into a car with a stranger um, and you're going from A to B and, and 10 years ago that would have been unimaginable. Um, or how do people trust Airbnb? You know, you're going to a stranger's house and you're sleeping there. Um, and how do, how, how do you build that new trust in the new economy? And I think that that's the idea, that software mindset that we had. How do we disrupt banking? So I just wanted to frame it in that way and say this, that, you know, there's a um, there's a, a report that comes out on, I think it's a quarterly basis, the Glow Index of, of, of Trust in Banking. Um, mm. And UP is the only digital bank in the top 10 in Australia um, and in the last few times that they've reported, we've actually come out number seven, number eight, you know, somewhere in the top 10. It's extraordinary that we can go from the brand not existing two years ago to now being in the top 10 trusted banks in Australia. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think that that just frames your question, which is we actually are not just talking about how we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. We're actually talking about how this phenomenon and this growth and everything has actually developed trust in a brand that has elements to it that are sort of embedded in money and financial services and, and that sort of trust, but also have this new trust. I call it the new, new trust, you know, which is technology, which is trusting an app to run your life, you know, trusting that there are humans behind it, but this technology is sitting there in the intermediate. So, so I just wanted to frame it in that way to say that, you know, being one of the top 10 trusted banks in Australia is an extraordinary thing to be able to even say as a new mm. brand. And maybe I'll just, you know, pitch over to Anson in terms of, how we see that trust playing out in a product sense and also what's the vision for, for that, you know? Yes, please. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think the those examples of, you know, Uber and Airbnb are really interesting because in a way trust is there, was their big hurdle um, uh, to overcome. And, and likewise for a new bank starting too, I think there's always that first question is will, will customers trust you with their money? Mm. Um, and I think it's uh, the temptation early days is to think the way to solve that is with a really great marketing campaign or really great messaging. Um, that can certainly help, but I think ultimately what we've seen is the best, the best sort of uh, solution for trust comes from, uh, you know, people seeing other people using up and finding it a great service. You know, that what's usually called social proof, right? It's, yeah. it's not really what we say. It's what people that what's what our customers are saying. And that's, yeah kind of the best form of trust. And I think it, if you look at probably how Uber grew in Australia, for example, I remember talking, you know, I'd been in the US where I think that was, had become quite a big thing already. Coming over here, there was lots of people, particularly older people that would say, look, why would you just get in a car with someone else? You know, like um, it was only once they saw, you know, their kids or their younger friends using it and raving about it that it almost became ubiquitous in a really short period of time. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, with up, what we've seen is, you know, amazing advocacy and loyalty from customers. And uh, we've seen that customers, you know, see up not just as a utility, but almost as, as part of their identity. It's, it's something they really want to um, share. Uh, so, you know, we, we make, we've, you know, we consider that, I guess, in, in a lot of the features we build, like, are there some shareable moments? Can we give customers something to celebrate here that they may want mm. to, to share um, because there's a lot, a lot of positivity to our mission. You know, our mission is very much around helping customers feel good about money. That's really been our core focus for the first two years is just building those tools to give them insight and understanding of, of where their money's going and tools to help build savings and, and, and kind of set a, 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 you know, a future that is, um, you know, more in their control and more anticipated. And, um, and I think that, you know, to, to where we go in the future, as we sort of, you know, feel like we're getting a better and a better solution for that everyday banking use case, then we, you know, we're very keen to look to other areas, you know, definitely in the financial domain that, but not or maybe strictly banking, where we can help people with a similar kind of approach, right? So that could be in, you know, investment superannuation, it could be, mm. certainly there's some borrowing stuff. I mean, um, you know, I think we'll, like any NEOs, is likely to tread carefully in that space, because, 
you know, you, you want to do right by customers and make yeah. sure that you're not providing a service, you know, particularly as a new bank, you don't want to be providing a service that, that customers are struggling with. You know, I think that's yeah. sort of the, the worst thing you could do. Um, so we're really looking to find ways of, you know, credit is really useful for getting into a home. Most people are going to need some form of credit to buy a home or, you know, perhaps a, a new laptop for, for uni or, or whatever it is. So um, there are great uses of credit that are, I think are really healthy and um, ones, but, but they need to be sort of delivered in a way that customers really understand what they're getting into and can manage those commitments. Um, and so anything in that space, you know, we, we really, I think we can sort of, um, you know, I guess show what we can do with transactional banking, build that trust with customers. And then when it comes to some of those other products, I think that customers will, will, will believe that up will, will provide a great, you know, a similarly great solution for those two. Yes. Is that because of something that, oh, sorry. No, on. I was just going to say that it's actually that level of trust and that, um, as, as Anson said, sort of embedding up into your life and, and feeling like it's part of the brand of you. You know, like people are proud yeah. to say, hey, I'm an upsider. Um, yep. You know, I had this experience. I've been an upsider for two years or um, I, I, I could never save before, but now I can save because of the tools that Up provides me or the things like that. That is the reason that Up is now the number one rated banking app in all of Australia, in both mm-hmm. the App Store and the Google Play Store. And so I was talking before about trust, but actually how does that trust sort of um, translate into this um, uh, referral and, 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 and social proof and, and, and growth um, and a lot of that comes through uh, customers putting it on their own social media platform, telling their family and friends, you know, sharing uh, those moments that Anson talked about and app store reviews. Like we're 4.9 in the app store. Mm. You can't, I mean, it's almost impossible to get five because you're always going to have some disgruntled customers. So I think that that um, sort of has manifested in a trust sense and it's also manifested in a growth sense. And so I just wanted to touch on just uh, you know, to, to, to round that out is that, when we're talking about these sort of things, we make stuff so easy with Up that when you when Up first launched, to get a bank account in Australia could take anywhere from two or three business days to ten. Like you'd have mm-hmm. to wait for your card to arrive, you'd have to go to a branch, or you'd have to, um, you know, uh, ring up a call center. You know, have to go through those sort of processes, and it's hard to even imagine. But here we are, two years later, and Up was the first bank in Australia to launch where you could download an app put in your ID and sign up an account in less than three minutes. You'd have Mm. Apple Pay, Google Pay, uh, you know, uh, Samsung Pay, whatever. We were the first bank in Australia to offer instant issuance of those wallets, of the Google Pay and the Apple Pay and Samsung Pay. And and now there's half a dozen other banks that, you know, that are doing it. But what that's enabled, that sort of instant sort of um, uh, capability, it's actually enabled us to open, for example, nearly a million accounts um, since, since we launched two years ago. Um, and, 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 you know, that I, I just wanted you to understand that sort of, or your listeners, that that trust um, and that level of advocacy actually is what has fed into the loop mm-hmm. of us being able to do what we do. Um, and, and so we have to be a successful business. You know, we have to be able to make money. We have to be able to hire people. We have to be able to build product. We have to be able to ship product. And the way that we're able to do that is actually the foundation of this brand, mm-hmm. the trust, and the ability to execute, and then that advocacy, like it all plays together in a flywheel. And without it all sort of working in sync, then we're just another bank, you know, mm. which we're not. So I just think that's pretty awesome that we've been able to translate that into that level of sort of growth over the last couple of years. And something that's really interesting, the connection from what you've both said as well, is it's that, you know, that that brand love and investing in making that so strong through all of the mechanisms that you've just discussed then can give you the license to then explore other areas because then, you know, then it's that, you know, the old, it's almost the Simon Sinek, you know, start with why, but anytime Apple turns their hand to something, we're really comfortable with it because we know it's going to be awesome. It doesn't really matter. You know, it's not actually about the product. You've just built up that, you know, that reputation for doing it well. I want to come back into that because something else that's sort of underneath what you've said there, Anson, as well, is about this, you know, you, you're talking about debt. You know, this is something that we may want to go into when we're exploring product areas. And I noticed it's actually on the up tree as well as one of those areas that we might get into. And there is this, you know, it's hot, always been a hot topic in design and I'm sure you guys are part of it as well, but this, you know, socially responsible design or in other cases, this kind of purpose-led innovation and thinking about, you know, maybe even in the backdrop of the social dilemma and, Um, that Netflix documentary, but what are the consequences of what we create? 
you know, what may come from this technology that we put out there and what will be the impact on people's lives or our customers that we care so much about. I'm curious about, like, do those conversations happen behind closed doors? How does that play out? And, you know, and even some insight into how you, you know, does it, does it come into decision-making? Could you talk to that? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it, it, up's in the really fortunate position in a sense that we, you know, there are certainly things that we're doing with the app that are um, creating sort of habitual behaviors, right, in our customers. And you read some of the reviews and it almost is compulsive behavior. Like there's, you know, we, we released uh, last or this, earlier this year uh, this feature called Savers Pools which basically gives you this fun, really fun visualization of your savings goals where you can sort of see them fill up, you know, depending on how you're tracking towards them and play with them. It's sort of exploring, I guess, the, the, the emotion of saving and what it feels like to build your savings. And, and so people write in about that and say, I, I, every night before I go to bed, I like look at my savers. And, and, uh, um, and I think that, you know, obviously there's a lot of conversation around um, you know, the increasing, I guess, um, use of smartphones and the role they play in our lives. You know, up is about financial well-being, and the way we see it, if people are more engaged with their money, then that's, that can only be a good thing for them because mm. the reality is there are a significant number of people in Australia that, that are sort of, I think, disconnected from their finances. They, they're, they're not necessarily moving forward. They're kind of always on the back foot. Um, and, you know, I, I think that, to the extent that we can get people engaged with this content coming in and saving, you know, even if it's 20 cents here or 50 cents there, you know, these are really positive outcomes for them because at the end of the day, you know, often we talk about addiction and habit as, as a, as a bad thing. And in lots of life it is right. When it's, um, you know, gambling or alcohol or these kind of things, but um, you know, there are tons of good habits in our lives, you know, brushing our teeth and <laughs> making our bed and eating well and exercise, you know, one, if you can, if you can make those things become habits, then it becomes even you know harder not to do them than it yeah. is to do them, and there's a great positive outcome from those things things being habits. You know, we used to kind of think that people who did well at life kind of woke up in the morning and had these incredible, you know, executed these heroic acts of willpower to overcome, <laughs> you know, getting out of bed and going for a run and doing all this stuff. People realize now that it's mostly about forming great habits, and so. You know, we sort of embrace that openly. We, you know, it's not about engagement for engagement's sake. It's a bit, you know, all the engagement is up with up is around understanding your money and, and be feeling more connected to it. Um, yeah. So, you know, we, we, we want to encourage that. I think there's a bit about um, mental um, sort of uh, thought process that goes uh, behind the scenes within the organisation, but then there's also the mental thought process of our customers. And it's really interesting how the two are kind of synced together. So the mm. feedback that we get is often what we imagined when we're in the lounge room at the office or when we're working on the whiteboard or whatever it is. A lot of the time we're thinking, what is our social impact? What is our environmental impact? I mean, simple things like our welcome pack. You know, the welcome pack um, could easily have been $150, you know, high cost to build it, um, you know, using all these plastics and everything and then, you know, no good for the environment, you know, all that usual stuff that, you know, you sort of just, I don't know, people just literally take for granted. Mm. We put a year's worth of you know, effort and thought and we handmade things in the office. We use recycled materials. We set ourselves a goal that it would cost less than sending a, you know, a trifold A4 envelope with a, a A4 piece of paper with a, you know, a DL envelope. You know, we, we, we looked at um, you know, the cost of stamps and we looked at the materials that it was made from. And in the end, we came up with a recycled pack that is recyclable, um, that is reusable, um, and actually just consciously thinking about that now, the result of that, I would say, conscious thought about that as a, as a real social problem, now we see people Instagramming, Snapchatting, Facebooking, tweeting, all about how amazing the welcome experience is. It didn't happen by accident. It's, yeah. not, it's not like we just magically thought, hey, let's do this welcome thing. It actually took many, many months of ideas and prototypes and thinking, and we tried all sorts of different materials. You know, we turned the card portrait. We took the data off the front of the card, put it on the back of the card. There was so much, and there's some great blogs that, you know, we've posted about this stuff, but there was so much thought that went into that. And all the time we're thinking um, about social conscience, about um, society, about impact that we have, whether that be um, you know, mental health, whether that be financial literacy, whether that be environment, all, all of those things actually form part of our product thesis. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not sort of putting words in Anson's mouth, but, you know, Anson's the head of our product. 
it, it has to be his values too, right? Like he has those values and therefore those values sort of permeate through the product. And we've found that from an engineering, design and product perspective, the values of the people working on the team are just as important as any values that you could imagine. We don't come up with what are the values of our company. We actually embed the values in the product that are the values of the people that are working on it. And I think that is sort of a slightly different take on, on, on the answer to your question. Mm. That's like a big, yeah, I think that's exactly right. It has The culture has to come from the people that are inside the organisation. Let's stay on that as well because there's, there's some little nuggets, old nuggets you've all dropped in there about, you know, how the culture operates and you even opened up talking about, you know, we just started up because we wanted to all, actually, your agency before, we just wanted to work with cool people. Um, so can you talk to us about how have you maintained that culture as you've got bigger? How does that have there any been any kind of challenges that you've come up against or advice that you've got people because for people because that obviously is something that you know a lot of people struggle with how do we make sure that we stay true to the core of who we are as we grow yeah i think that's a it's a it's a very important one because uh, it's actually i would say it's difficult whether you're starting or whether you're scaling it's actually difficult yeah. it's something that takes conscious effort conscious thought so I can maybe give you uh, two different perspectives. Um, one is um, more f- philosophical. Mm-hmm. So recognizing that it's, and then the other is sort of more practical. So the philosophical one, recognizing that that's something we want to do, and that is a problem that all businesses are facing. Mm-hmm. Um, we're always happy to mentor or provide advice or assistance, or you know, even people come and visit us and check out how we do things and stuff. We're always happy to share that because I think a, a you know a learned experience is a shared experience. Um, and, and so, you know, you only really learn through your mistakes and through practical experience. But if you can share with someone else and sort of learn from their successes and their mistakes, I think that just sort of like, you know, what goes around comes around, helps the community to uh, evolve and, and learn from each other. So so specifically around philosophy, you know, our, our, our view, my, my business partner is an ex-AFL football coach, right? So very passionate about helping people build better lives. And he talked about that a lot um, to me, not, not, not necessarily publicly, but talks a lot about how his job as a football coach wasn't to win premierships. Winning premierships was an outcome, you know, like yeah, creating the culture um, and then, uh, you know, helping people between the age of, uh, you know, 16 and 32 um, to be better humans. Like yeah. that is, that, that's, the, that's, that's the reason that you exist. Very similar culture now has manifested at Ferocia and, and, and through Up, um, yeah. which is that phil- philosophically, we want to make sure that we nurture and support people, not just our customers, but also our staff. Uh, we want to make sure that we have uh, all the checks and balances. We want to make sure that we you know, make um, uh, uh, the right decisions, but also quick decisions. So, for example, the right type of culture as it develops absorbs the right people and then spits out the wrong people. Uh, and so we've had some circumstances where we've had to cut the quick. You know, we've, we've, we've had some uh, along the journey, a couple of people that just didn't work out. And it's mm. not that they were bad people or whatever. It's just that they didn't fit our vibe. They didn't share those same uh, beliefs or values or whatever it is. So, so I think that that making those decisions quickly was really important. One person, for example, joined the company, and we have a three-month probation, and and they were the only person ever that has left during their probation. And they just decided, look, you know, it's not for me. Don't want to do banking. Not as passionate as everyone else. I feel a little bit, you know, ostracized because everyone's so passionate about it, and I'm not. So it's just mm. not for me. I'm going to go do my own startup. Um, and so I think the ability for you to cut the quick there and say, right, there's not a fit rather than making mistakes. Now, practically speaking, so that's sort of you know, philosophically, practically speaking, the way that we were able to do that was that we started by, um, you know, Anson, for example, was our first employee and he was introduced to me by an ex-employee. Uh, you know, so it was all one degree of separation. So, we, were, you know, I didn't ask Anson for his resume and we didn't do interviews and all that sort of stuff because, um, you know, he came sort of recommended by one of the people that I trust most in the world. Mm. So, 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 you know, like I think that having one degree of separation in the first instance is fine. Now, when you start scaling, then you have to implement processes, procedures. You have to have conscious ways of making sure that you protect that and that it can grow. So we don't use recruiters, you know, we still to this day do all of our own internal uh, recruitment, but then that takes away our engineers and our product team and our design team from doing their job to recruiting. We think that 
is, and this is practical advice, you know, we think that is as important as building the product. So like some companies will say, well, let's have a HR department or let's use a recruitment firm or whatever it is. You know, we have a different view. We will take our very best people and take them off the tools for a week to hire or two weeks or whatever it takes to hire the right person so that we can continue to permeate that culture and we can grow that culture. I think there's also other practical things like, you know, we didn't have um, necessarily all of these procedures and policies and things written down. You know, they're things that have evolved when you're at two people, 10 people, 20 people. And so as you go from 20 people to 50, we're now 65 people. And as we go to 100 and so on, some, some of these things need to become policies. So one of the things that, um, you know, it's a hot topic we've been talking about recently is that a lot of, I call them the ferocious babies, a lot of ferocious <laughs> over the over the last 10 years have had babies and they become extended, you know, extended members of the ferocious family, you know. <laughs> and, and so, you know, they're little mini upsiders. Um, and, and so we've watched those kids growing up and everything, but we've also been very supportive of the parents so that when they have kids, um, you know, they're able to spend time with them and they can create the right work-life balance and all that sort of stuff. But that's always been organic. And Tomo and I have always had direct conversations with the, our staff about, well, what do you want to do? Okay, you want to take a year off or you want to come back over six months or do two days a week, you know, whatever. Um, whereas actually now we found that in order for us to keep growing the business, we have to document those policies and then communicate them so that we can recruit and then we can retain. And so I think that the the sort of structure, the policies, and that's it needs to take from the philosophical and then implement into the practical. And I think that's how we've managed to uh, maintain. I'll just say one more thing. Mm -hmm. I've talked a bit there about recruitment and the people. The other thing is maintaining the shared um, passion and vision and values within the group. So we run a monthly session we call Tomo Time. And it's Tomo as like the footy coach, um, sort of uh, providing an opportunity for all of us to challenge each other, be critical to each other, to share our loves and passions and beliefs with each other. You know, we do exercises like um, stop, start, keep, or um, a hero highlight hardship and, you know, all sorts of awesome things that we do. And when new people come in and they become part of that team, they're like, oh my God, you know, this is unbelievable. This is amazing. How can two employees stand up in front of the rest of the company and give each other critical feedback? If you can create that type of culture, you can do anything. Mm. Love that one there. That's beautiful. What about from your perspective, Anson? What do you reckon is the the absolute glue that makes the up culture tick, or even from product perspective? Yeah, there's definitely a lot lot there from Dom. It's hard to, to add too much more to that. I mean, I think it is. Um, uh, you know, it's just something you can keep working at. You know, I think. Uh, I've worked in companies before where that, that sort of culture stuff was broken out into one or two sessions a year that, that no one really wants to do and it feels kind of cheesy and that they happen. Uh, you know, it's half a day or a day and then everyone just sort of goes back to their job. And I think, uh, you know, so it's um, it's obviously not not what to do. And and um, But I think people would always do come into those, anything that's sort of explicitly about culture and teamwork with a little bit of a defensive mindset. And mm. I think, you know, it takes practice to, to get good at it and to see the value in it too. It's not, it's not just always going to seem like a hundred percent of a good idea straight away. I think, mm. um, you know, having that, that idea of cadence, you know, doing something monthly or in our case we do, we sort of have weekly structures where on, you know, on Monday, the whole team will get on the zoom call at the moment and, um, talk about not just the work that they did last week or are going to do this week, but what they did on their weekend, you know, and it yeah. might take half an hour to go around everybody, but it's, you know, just, I think it really helps people relate. It sparks yeah. other conversations. I don't know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday will be more, all right, what am I working on today? What are my blockers? You know, your traditional stand up kind of conversations, um, but then we'll all get back together on Friday and, um, you know, kind of celebrate the wins of the, of the week, um, talk about what didn't go so well, um, and that just happens really every every week and, um, you know, and, and then the monthly sort of more cultural sessions too. So I think it's just, mm. it's just doing it a lot. I think you, you know, a lot of the time you're just sort of overcoming the awkwardness of that stuff, you know, of people that you work professionally with, but ultimately do spend most of your waking hours with. And um, it is important, to, I think, to, to get to know each other um, as more than just colleagues. So, mm. you know, I guess I would say, you know, especially from my point of view, I think, past careers never really responding to that stuff and kind of coming in automatically defensive um it's just kind of you just have to to give it a shot and be open to it and and try and do it more than 
you know, once or twice a year. It kind of has to be something you do a bit more more commonly. There's so many great sound bites and takeaways there. I think people are just going to love that last little bit around culture. Thanks, team. It's just super practical as well, you know, and that's really important, some of these sort of practices people can put in. I think we've got time for one last question. There's one that I'm really curious about, and it's a bit of a two-parter. So it's a bit of a future of one, um, and it's driven from uh, just even a recent um, grab from Jeff Bezos's book that's out at the moment, and he talks about how, he doesn't, you know, people congratulate him on the quarter that they just had and he's like, oh, I don't even, you know, I'm not thinking about the quarter, I'm three years in advance and all the leaders in our organisation should be thinking three years ahead. And I've sort of heard parts of that from what you've both said today about, you know, where you want to take this. So the first question is around that, you know, where do you want to see up in three years' time? What is that vision that, you know, you are each getting yourselves into? And then even between the two of you, you know, how do you make decisions about things that are that far away when you're coming at things from quite different perspectives, presumably? And you sound quite aligned, but if we think about that natural tension between, you know, the business and design or product and design and these sorts of things. So yeah. is that something yeah. you could talk to? Yeah. yeah. So, like, for me, the where we want to get to, it's pretty straightforward. There's a mechanical answer, which yeah. is we want to be number one bank for under 35s in Australia. Um, the current number one is Commonwealth Bank, and therefore we need 2 million customers. Uh, we're two years in, and our goal is to beat five years. So mm-hmm. um, we, we, we plan to be, uh, I guess, you know, Bendigo is already the fifth largest bank in the country, but we plan to be bigger than that um, within five years from launch. Um, that, that, that's our big hairy goal. Yep. And that's very mechanical, but I think that it sort of frames it for you. Like we're yeah. not competing with the other NEOs. We're not competing with the small um, bank, you know, choices or whatever. We're literally competing with the big banks. We have, we've seen billions of dollars coming into up all from the, mostly from the big banks. Um, and, you know, if I look at, say, Commonwealth Bank, they are, would be perceived as the, as the market leader in the Australian market. Um, you know, we, and we're winning customers from them every single day. So I think that that's mechanical. That's what our big hairy goal is. Um, I think it's, you know, worth um, mentioning that we don't see ourselves as a bank, you know, like, yes, we are. And that's what we do. But we see ourselves as helping people move from this sort of uh, anxiety driven, uh, stressful situation where money is a drag and, you know, like they don't understand it or they don't want to understand it or whatever, into the, where the upsiders are passionate about our brand, they're passionate about the tribe, they're passionate about learning um, and, and all the tools that we offer them help them reconnect and, you know, and, and be in control of their money. And we hear a lot of companies saying that stuff but we don't actually see a lot of people delivering on it. Whereas mm. every decision that we make is heading towards that longer term, big hairy goal, but also that sort of philosophical reason for being. And I think that that's sort of, you know, the way that I, I would frame it. Just to the second part before I let Anson jump in is that Anson and I have known each other for a very long time, um, nearly a decade, and we've you know, traveled the world together and, you know, slept in hotels and been on planes and been on trains and, you know, our kids have sort of grown up together, all that sort of stuff. So I think that um, my background in design and my passion for product um, is not my job, but it puts us in reasonably good stead so that we can have good conversations um, and we can challenge each other um, and, and we can trust each other. And I think that that's why, for example, we get along, um, you know, so well um, and with a, a, an aligned sort of vision. Mm. Nice to round it out on trust too. Hmm. yeah i think uh, i mean i guess i would add to that that you know we i don't think we have like these really crystallized clear sort of three and five year goals you know we we don't tend to work that far ahead because you know after two years of being live we've seen how quickly things change and how much you know what you learn on the way sort of impacts you know your your future directions i think you know we may talk about stuff a few years in the future, but it's at a sort of very high level, you know, it's sort of low resolution, if you like. And as things get closer and closer to the present, then they're sort of more resolved. So we have a pretty clear idea of what we're going to do over the next three or six months and a hazier idea over the next year and a much hazier idea over the next couple of years. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're really fortunate, I think, to be working in this space. I think the whole team is really passionate about it. We, you know, there's this pretty horrible phrase in, in software called eating your own dog food, you know, which <laughs> just means uh, you know, using your own product, you know, yes. building, building a product that you're going to use yourself. Yeah. Um, and we, we can't assume that all of our customers look like us and, and it's important to be aware of that and have empathy for, for everybody, but we have a range of, you know, 
uh, you know, ages, you know, gender, you know, racial background. Uh, but not not to say we're we're representative of all of us, all of Australia, you know. But but we do. We've been through. You know, my, myself personally, I've been through that situation of you know getting my first job, getting a credit card, maxing it out, you know, living off credit, uh, you know, digging myself <laughs> into a hole and back out of it, you know, to buying a home and sort of that journey, um, you know, is. Is something I think a lot of people maybe not the the, the bad stuff, but like getting mm. to home ownership is I think something that a lot of Australians really um, desire to do, and and there's a lot that we can do to help them along that way. You know, certainly mm. another few years of work before we're done, and and mm. you know we'll we'll never really be done. But I think just having such a such a clear and and purposeful kind of mission, um, and such a great culture and team. Uh, that that's more our our focus. If we can if we can just be doing this in five years' time, we'll be happy. We're not yeah. we're not really setting out to be the next Amazon or Bezos. I don't think <laughs> <laughs> it's more about just doing what we love and, and and measuring our success through our customers' success. Yeah, you might be on your way anyway, even if that's not where you're headed <laughs> by the sounds of things. Thank you so much to both of you for this. This was just a beautiful conversation. I mean, for the whole spectrum of hearing about how this you know, how up got started, where you are now, you know, the story of innovation, design into the technical and then right up through culture and leadership and the sorts of things that you're doing. So I just want to say thank you um, on behalf of everyone listening as well and congratulations on where up is, urging anyone who's watching, listening to this now or when it all goes live again on the channels, get on up when you get the chance. So thank you so much. No, no Thanks thank for having me. It's been really great. Yeah, yeah thank you. Champions. Beautiful. Talk soon.